welcome to My Favorite Theorem. I'm your host, Evelyn Lamb, and I'm a freelance math and science writer in Salt Lake City, Utah, and this is your other host. Hi, I'm Kevin Knudsen, professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. How are you doing, Evelyn? I'm all right. I had a lovely walk today, and there are um, there's a family of quail that is living in our bushes outside, and they mm. were parading around today, and I think they're going to have babies soon, and that's very wonderful. Oh, well, speaking of babies, today is my son's birthday. Who's not a baby and He's He's 19, yeah, so still not the fun birthday, right? That's that's another two years out, but uh, <laughs> yes. anyway. So in he, this country. That's in this country, yes. Our, but our guest, however, doesn't understand this, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, today we are very happy to have Katie Steckles um, from Manchester, England, United Kingdom. So hi, Katie. Can you tell us a little about yourself? Hi. Uh, well, yeah, I'm a mathematician, I guess. Uh, so I did a PhD in maths and I finished about seven years ago. And now my job is to work in public engagement. So I do kind of events and do talks about maths and do workshops and talk about maths on YouTube and on the TV and on the radio and basically anywhere. That sounds yeah, awesome. you're all over the place. Yeah, that sounds like great fun. Like no grading papers, right? <laughs> uh, a, a minimal amount of, yeah, I don't think I've had to grade anything. No. <laughs> yeah, and you have some great YouTube videos. We'll probably talk more about some of them later. Um, yeah, and and I have stayed at your apartment a few years ago, uh, or your flat uh, yeah, right. in yeah. uh, Manchester. Quite lovely. Um, and yeah, it's great to have you on here and to talk with you again. So what is your favorite theorem? Okay, my favorite theorem is what's called the fold and cut theorem. Uh, which is a really, really nice piece of maths, which like the, the best bits of maths is named exactly what it is. Uh, so it's about folding bits of paper and cutting them. Um, mm -hmm. So I first encountered this a couple of years ago when I was trying to cut out a square. And I realized that's not a very difficult task, but I had a square drawn on a piece of paper and I needed to cut out just the square. And I also needed the outside bit of the paper to still be intact as well. Um, so I realized I wasn't going to be able to just cut in from the edge. Uh, so I realized that if I fold up the bit of paper, I can cut this square out without kind of cutting in from the side. Um, and then I realized that if I folded it enough, I could do that in one cut, just one straight line would cut out the whole square. And I thought that's kind of cool. I like that. That's a nice little bit of maths. Um, and I showed this to one of my friends who's also a mathematician. And um, he was basically like, isn't there a theorem about this? thought mm -hmm. maybe there is and I had a look uh, and the fold and cut theorem basically says that for any uh, figure with straight line edges um, you can always fold up a piece of paper with that figure drawn on it so that you can cut out the whole thing with one cut even if it's got more than one bit to it or a hole in it or anything like that it's always possible with one cut in theory yeah mm -hmm. so you, so you discovered a special case of this theorem before even knowing this was a thing to mathematically investigate yeah, well, it, I was I was cutting out a square for maths reasons because that's everything I do. Uh, but I was I was actually trying to make a flexagon at the time, uh, which mm -hmm. as I'm sure you've all been there. Um, but it was uh, just because I needed this square hole, and I thought it was such a satisfying thing to see that it was possible in one uh, cut. And my maths brain just suddenly went, "How can I extend this? Can I generalize mm -hmm. this to other shapes?" And sure. it was just a nice kind of extension of that. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Did you? Was your approach to go for the like diagonal folds or the folds that are parallel to the sides? Ah, well, yeah, this is the thing. So you can do uh, 
two like a vertical and a horizontal fold and then you get something that needs two cuts and then you can make one diagonal fold and just end up with a thing that you can do in one cut um, but you can actually do it in two folds if you do two diagonal folds but it's a longer cut so i don't know what the payoff is there. <laughs> depends mm -hmm. how much time you want to spend cutting i don't know okay yeah i was thinking as, as, you're, as you're doing this i've never I, I know about this theorem but i've never actually done it in practice, never really tried. But I was, as soon as you said the square, I started thinking, okay, what would I do here? Um, you know, and, and I immediately thought to sort of fold along the diagonals. But so in general though, say you have some, you know, 75 sided figure, um, is there an algorithm for this? It's pretty horrible, uh, depending on how horrible the thing is. Like simple things are nice. Uh, mm -hmm. Symmetrical things are really nice because you can sure. just fold the whole thing in half and then use, you know, just do the half of it. Um, so there are algorithms. So the, the proof was done by, um, Eric Domain and mm -hmm. Martin Domain, mm -hmm. um, and they've essentially got, I think, at least two different algorithms for generating a fold pattern given a particular shape. So I think one of them is based around what they call the straight skeleton, uh, which is, if you can imagine, if you shrink the shape in a very sort of linear way, so you shrink all of the edges down but keep them parallel to where they originally were, you'll eventually get to kind of a skeleton shape in the middle of the shape, um, and that's sort of the basis of constructing all the fold lines. Um, and it, it sort of seems quite intuitive because if you think about, for example, the square, all your folds are going to need to either be bisecting an angle or perpendicular to a straight edge. Because if it bisects the angle, it puts one side of the shape on top of the other one, perpendicular uh, to the edge, it's going to put the edge straight on top of the edge. Um, and I always kind of think about it in terms of putting lines on top of where the lines are, because that's essentially what you're doing. And if you've got thin enough bit of paper and thick enough line, you can actually physically see it happening, so it's beautiful. Um, and then the other method they have involves uh, discs centered at each corner of the shape, I think. And you expand the discs until they're as big as they can be and touch the other discs. And that then gives you a structure to generate a fold pan. Um, but they, they have got algorithms. Um, I haven't yet managed to find like a simple enough implementation that you can just upload a picture to a website and it will tell you the fold pattern, um, which is a shame because I've come across some really difficult shapes that I would really like to be able to fold. Um, but haven't quite been able to do it by hand. I've just gone, oh, I could just put some maths on this and throw it at a computer program. But um, I actually asked Eric Domain because um, I was in email contact with him about this. And um, the, the thing that had happened was there's a TV show in the UK called Blue Peter. Their logo is like a giant boat that's called the Blue Peter that's a big ship with about 20 sails on it. Um, and they said to talk about this really nice piece of maths. Um, you could even maybe try and cut out our logo with one cut. <laughs> I looked at it and was like, oh, goodness me. Because uh, it's all curves as well, so I'd have to approximate it all by straight lines mm -hmm. and then work out how to cut this whole thing. Um, and I emailed Eric Domain and I sent him the picture and I said, you know, do you have like uh, a program that you can use to just you know, take a, a figure, even if I send you the, the shape of the edge or whatever? Uh, and his, in his reply, he was like, oh, well, that looks... Uh, yeah, you know, no. <laughs> I just love the fact they'd asked me to do something that not even the mathematician that proved that it's possible for any shape was prepared to <laughs> admit would be would be easy. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if there is kind of a. I mean, mm -hmm. I would love it if someone did that. I'm not enough of a coder to be able to implement that kind of thing myself. But I would love it if there was a way to kind of you know put in a, a shape or a word or a picture mm -hmm. and come up with a whole pattern. But I don't know if anyone's done that yet. Well, this is how mathematicians are, right? We we just prove that a, a solution exists, you know, and then we then we walk away. And so I seem to remember you've done a video about this theorem, and one of the things you did in it was um, make a whole alphabet, but making all of those out of one cut shapes. 
Yeah, well, this was, I, I guess this is my kind of Everest in terms of this theorem. This is one of the reasons why I love it so much, because I put so much time into this uh, as a thing. So essentially, in the paper that uh, Domain and Domain have written about this, they've got like a little intro bit where they talk about like applications of this theorem and times when it's been used. So uh, I think it's uh, maybe Harry Houdini used to do a five-pointed star with one cut as part of his actual magic show. Mm. Uh, oh, it's really impressive. Like people watch me do it and they go, wow, how do you do that? And it's such a lovely little demo. Um, they also mentioned in there that they'd heard of someone who could cut out any letter of the alphabet. And I saw that and thought that would be a really nice thing to be able to do. You know, that would impress mm -hmm. people because it's kind of like if you can do any shape, then the proof of that should be whatever shape you tell me I can do. Um, and of course, a mathematician would know that 26 things is not infinity things, but it's still quite a lot of things in terms sure. of uh, an impressive demo. So I thought I would try and work that out. Uh, and I literally had to sit down and kind of draw out the shapes and kind of work out where all the bits went and how to fold them. And some are easy, some are like, like nice ones to start off with, like I and C and L. Um, mm -hmm. As long as you've got like a square sort of version of it, they're pretty easy to, to imagine what you would do. Um, and then they get more difficult. So S is horrible because it's no reflection symmetry at all. It's just rotation symmetry. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can't use that. You can't make any use of that at all. Um, R is quite difficult, but not if you know how to do P. And P is quite difficult, <laughs> but not if you know how to do F. Uh, so it all kind of kind of builds mm -hmm. gradually. And I've, I've worked out all of these patterns. Um, and in fact, it was one of the reasons I was in communication with Eric Domain, because he'd seen the video and he said, um, as well as being mathematicians, uh, we collect fonts. Like we just love mm -hmm. different fonts and typefaces, and we wondered if you could send us your fold patterns for your letters, so that we could make a font out of them. Oh um, wow, that was really, really nice. So they've got like a list on their website of different fonts, and uh, they've now got a fold and cut font, which I'm credited for as well. So oh, that's nice. nice. But yeah, I, I, the the video I did with Brady was for uh, his channel Numberphile, which is, as I understand it, a hugely popular math channel. Mm -hmm. um, I've done about five or six videos on there, and I've genuinely been recognised in the street. Like it's, it's oh wow, reach, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, I, I walked into a shop, and the guy was like, "Are you Katie Steckles?" I said, <laughs> "Yes." Like the customer service has just gone way up in this place. Uh, and he said, "No, oh, no, I've just been watching a video on YouTube." I was like, "Oh, okay. uh, so that was nice." Um, but yeah, so he he uh, asked me to come and do a few videos, and that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. I said, well, you know, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to spell out like the word number file or your name or whatever? And mm -hmm. Brady, who's Australian, uh, said, no, do the whole alphabet. And his exact words were, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly, uh, which is a very <laughs> Australian thing to say. But he's sure. basically saying, let's do the whole alphabet. It will be great. Um, and I wasn't, I think at that point it was early enough in me doing it. That I wasn't 100% sure I would definitely get them all right. Um, but his kind of thing that he has about his videos is they always write maths down on brown paper. So he had this big pile of brown paper there and he cut it all up into pieces for me so I could use one for each letter. Uh, and it was such a wonderful kind of way to nod to that tradition of using brown paper. But I just sat there and folded them all and he filmed the whole thing and he put it in as a time lapse. Um, and then I cut each one, one cut on each bit of paper um, and opened them all up and they all worked. So it was good. Uh, but it was a very long day, kind of crouched over a little table. Uh, cutting out all of these letters but people genuinely come and ask me about it because of that video so that's quite nice yeah well I think after I watched that video um I tried to do I didn't so H was my kryptonite um I was <laughs> trying to fold that and I just at some point gave up like I kept having these like long 
spindles like coming out of the middle bar that I couldn't seem to get rid of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think I've, I've somewhere got a photograph of all of my early attempts to S. Um, okay. and it's just ridiculous. Like it's a just it's like a Frankenstein's monster, you know, parade of villains of just horrific shapes that don't even look like an S. I'm like, how did I get this? But it kind of it gave me a, a learning process, and it was. I think it was maybe like a few weeks of solidly like just playing around with things. Uh, I think I had one night in a hotel room where I was away working, so there was no one else around. I just spent the whole evening just sat folding bits of paper and putting them up. Uh, I don't know what the like the maid had cleaned the room the next day. Got like this trash bin is just full of bits of cut up paper. Um, but yeah, I've got like a, a big stack of scrap paper at home that's like old printouts and things I don't need that I use for practicing the alphabet because I get through a lot of paper when I do practicing. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really fun theorem. So, you know, another thing we like to do on this podcast is um, is ask our guests to pair their theorem with something. So what have you chosen to pair the fold and cut theorem with? Wow. So I, I know that you sometimes often pair things with uh, foodstuffs. So I'm going to suggest that I would pair this with uh, my husband's chili and cheddar waffles. Uh, and I can okay. explain why. Okay. Uh, so my reasoning is that I, I kind of feel like this is a really nice example as a, as a theorem about the kind of the way that maths works and the way that theorems work. Um, so my husband's chili is a recipe that he's been working on for years. Like he comes from a family where they do a lot of cooking and it was natural for him when he moved out to just have his own kind of recipes. And his chili recipe is so good that we've taken his chili to parties and people have asked for the recipe. Uh, and I'm just like, there isn't one. It's not written down anywhere. It's just in his head. He just has this, this recipe. Mm -hmm. And he's obviously worked really hard on it and achieved this brilliant thing. And, and kind of the, the, the ability to do the alphabet, the ability to kind of make things using this theorem for me is my equivalent of that. It's like my special skill that I can show up <laughs> people with because I've, you know, I've put in that time and I've solved the problem. And I like one of my favorite things about maths is that it gives you that problem solving kind of brain that you will just keep working at something and you'll keep perfecting it until you get there. Um, and then the reason why I paired it with uh, cheddar waffles is A, because that is a delicious combo. That sounds, sounds amazing. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. As soon as we got a waffle maker, that was the first go at it was what can we put with this chili that will make it even better. Um, and I just found a recipe for cheddar waffles on the internet because we don't have that, you know, we don't do that many waffles. We don't really mm -hmm. know how to make them. Um, but the fact that you can go online and just find a recipe for something is a really nice kind of aspect of modern life. This is one of the things about maths that I appreciate is that once you've proved the theorem, that kind of goes into a toolbox and other people can then, you know, look up that theorem and use it whatever they're doing. And you're kind of building your kind of maths out of bits of things that other people have proved and bits of things that you're proving. And it's sort of a nice analogy for that, I guess. So those are, those are the two things about it. Now that we've got the fold and cut theorem, no one needs to prove it again, but anyone can use it. Yeah. And I guess if it were a perfect, I, in some ways, maybe the chili recipe is sort of like these algorithms for making them. Is that like they're really, well, I, I don't know, maybe that's not good because the algorithms seem really complicated and difficult here. It's more that the recipe is hidden in your husband's brain. Well, a lot of algorithms feel that way though, right? It's quite complex. Yeah. I, I mean, I, he gets a lot of things out of the cupboards that I've never seen before and then they all go back in again afterwards. But, <laughs> you know, it's quite, there's probably a lot of subtlety to it that people don't realize. It's a black box. My chili recipe is a black box too. I, I can't tell you what's in it. I mean, um, probably not as good as your husband's though. It's, the... <laughs> well, it's, it's got um, roasted vegetables uh -huh. um, in the chili, yeah. It's, that's that's one of the main secrets. If anyone's trying to try and recreate this, but then just a whole load of spices that only he can tell me. 
my husband doesn't like tomato, like soups with tomatoes in them very much. So I don't do chili very much. So yeah, yeah, I don't have a good chili recipe. We have a friend who's allergic to onions, and that's a nice exercise. Oh, in how wow. can you how can you modify a recipe and still have it taste like vaguely like what it's supposed to be? Because without onions, yeah, there's a lot of things that don't work. And and she must have a nightmare with it because like a lot of foods have got onion in or they've got sure. you know, onion powder or stuff. Mm-hmm. Every yeah, restaurant chili without it kind of worked. It kind of worked without onions. It was great. We did it, and uh, it was, I think it was a bit more aubergine went in and some new spices just to give it a bit more oniony flavor. But it, yeah, it still works. Oh, nice. Yeah, cooking without onions <sighs> is tough. It, does it extend to to garlic? Does it generalize to other uh, things right. in the allium family? Yeah, it's it's all allium, so she can't really have garlic either. She can get away with a little bit of garlic, but not. Not any reasonable amount. It's, it's yeah, it must be completely horrible. But it's actually it kind of reminds me of um, Eugenia Cheng's done a, a first book was about maths and baking. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the really nice points that she makes about the analogy between recipes and maths, which we have apparently stumbled into, uh, is that um, you know understanding something in a maths sense means that you can take bits of it out and replace them with other things. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of, you know, you've got a particular problem and you go, okay, well, do we need to make this assumption? Do we need this particular constraint? What happens if we relax this and then mm-hmm. put something else in? Uh, and that's how you explore kind of where you go with things. And if you relax the constraint and then find the solution, that maybe tells you something about the solution to the constraint problem uh, and things like that. So sort of, you know, tweaking a recipe helps you to understand the recipe a bit more. And as long as you know roughly what goes in there and you've got something that is, you know, recognizably a chili, then... You know, it doesn't matter what you've changed, I guess. Yeah. So uh, we also give our guests a, uh, a chance to plug anything they're working on. You want to plug uh, videos, websites, uh, anything? Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm always working on a million different things. Yeah. Uh, I guess probably the nicest thing for people to have a look at would be the A Periodical, uh, which is a website where mm-hmm. I blog with two of my colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so we write. Uh, it's kind of a maths blog, but aimed at people who are already interested in maths. So it's one of the few things that I do that is not an outreach project, um, which is... Uh, essentially, it's aimed at people who already are interested and want to find out what's going on. So we sometimes write like opinion pieces about things or like, here's a nice bit of maths I found. Um, and then sometimes we just write up news. And there's a surprising amount of maths news, it turns out. It's not just we discovered a new Mersenne Prime again. Um, there's <laughs> various other maths news stories that come on as well. So we write those up and bits of competitions and puzzles and things as well. Um, and it's at aperiodical.com. Guest submissions. If anyone else wants to write, an article and have it go out on a blog that's seen by, you know, a couple of thousand people a day or whatever, they're welcome to send us stuff and we'll have a look at it. Yeah, it's a lovely blog. And you also um, organize and and host the um, math blog carnival that um, is like every month a roundup of, of math blog posts and stuff like that. We sort of inherited that from whoever was running it before us, but the Carnival of Mathematics. Um, every month someone who has a maths blog takes it in turns to write a post which is essentially just his bunch of blog posts that went out this month um, and we have uh, the kind of the submissions form and all the kind of machinery behind it is now hosted at the A Periodical uh, and has been for the last few years so um, if you have a maths blog elsewhere and you want to get an opportunity to put a post on your site that will be seen by a bunch of people because there's a bunch of people who just read it every month um, then get in touch because we're always looking for hosts for future months. Um, and essentially, we just forward to your email address all the submissions that people put in during the month, and you can then write it up in kind of the first week of the next month. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I always see something cool on there that I had missed during the month. So it's a nice resource. The One of the other non-outreach, I guess, maths things that I'm involved in is a thing called Maths Jam. Uh, or oh, yeah, in the right. US, the equivalent would be Math Jam. Um, and it, we, we do have both websites, basically. So I coordinate all of the Math Jams in the world. So it's essentially a pub night for people who want to go and do maths in a pub with people. Uh, so it's, it's aimed at adults because a lot of kids already get the chance to go to math club at school and do kind of maths puzzles and things in their classroom. Um, but adults who finished school, finished university, don't often get that chance. So we basically go to the pub once a month or to a bar or a restaurant or somewhere that will allow us to sit around and drink and do maths. And um, there are now, I think, getting on for 100 maths jams in the world. So we've got about 30 or 40 in the UK. Um, and then they're popping up all over. We just picked up one in Brazil. Uh, we've got three in Italy now, we've got three in Belgium, and there are a few in the US. But what I'm going to say is that I'm very sad that we don't have more because I feel like it would be um, really nice if we had a whole load of US jams. And we've got, I think we've got more in Canada than we have in the USA, uh, which is um, interesting given the kind of population sizes of relative. Right. Um, and I think Washington, D.C. has just gone on hiatus because not enough people were coming along. So the organizer said, I'm getting fed up of sitting in the pub on my own. No one else is coming. I'm just going to put it on hold for now. Um, so if you live somewhere in the U.S. and you want to go and meet other people and do maths in an evening, uh, you essentially, to start one, you just need a couple of people that you know you can drag along with you uh, to sit around in case no one else turns up. And we send out a sheet with some ideas for puzzles and things to do. And you can play games and you can chat about maths and you can do whatever. People can bring stuff along. Um, and all you need to do to organize it is choose a bar and send an email once a month. And those are the only requirements. So oh, I'm yeah. going to the pub once a month. But I think that's probably not a, not a big <laughs> ask if that's the kind of thing mm-hmm. you're into. Um, so if anyone is interested, you can email uh, katie at mathsjam.com. And I can send you all the details of what's involved. You can have a look on the website, mathsjam.com or math-jam.com if you want to have a look at uh, what there is already, what's near you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be nice to have more in the US. Yeah, well, I I get a lot out of it, even though it's kind of sort of my job, but also my hobby. I always kind of meet people and chat through things and share ideas. And people always go, oh, that reminds me of this other thing I saw. And then they show me something I've not seen before. And it's such a nice kind of way to share things. Uh, but also just to know that everyone else in the room is totally sympathetic to maths and will be quite happy for you to chat on about some theorem uh, or whatever and not think you're weird. So quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. I enjoyed talking about the fold and cut theorem. It makes me want to go back and pick up that alphabet again and try to conquer Mount H that uh, yeah. felled me the last well, time. I can, send you, uh, I can send you a picture of my... Uh, Fold pattern for H, but I'm, I would, I'm sure you'd much rather work it out for yourself. It's such a lovely puzzle. It's a really nice little challenge. Yeah, it's fun. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lee. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Wen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpkinnison.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at Nivik that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. 
The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at my favorite theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of mathematics. <laughs>